would you like to know? Well, you should listen. Zoom. Cron. Week in review. Listen closely. Zoom. Cron. It's gonna help you. Then think for yourself. What the hell happens? I'm gonna tell you. From my in perspective. In the Zoom Cron. In Zoom Cron. Week, week in, in review. review. Right now. Here's an independent journalist, Travis. William, William Skink Matier. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zoomcron Week in Review. I'm your host, Travis William Skink Matier, and I got all kinds of articles at zoomcron.com to go through today. So let's get started. I'm recording this. It's about 7.50 a.m. on Friday morning, July 28th. So we're going to be reviewing the articles for the week of July 24th through the 28th. And there's eight of them. I actually had a count to make sure that I wrote that much stuff this week. And I did. Um, probably a result of a couple things. I didn't have work in the kitchen this week. So kind of got the week off after going out to the woods on Sunday and Monday. And then I really just have to stay busy. And if I don't stay busy, um, I think there might be consequences if I don't stay busy and keep focused on what's important. So that is what I'm trying to do. And because so many things were happening this week and I wasn't working, eight posts resulted. So let's just hop right in. I was out in the woods on Monday. And so that's nice that I had a, a post pre-scheduled to hit online right at 7 a.m. when everything posts Monday through Friday. My version of Monday Montanan was the name of the title, and that is a reference to the Missoulian. They used to do a Monday Montanan series. I'm not sure if they still do that. They can barely get a hard copy of a newspaper out. That only like hits now three times a week. But I decided to do my own version, and it was the result of having purchased a book at the Antique Mall. So I got a copy of Missoula Valley History. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. And it happened to be the copy of one... Uh, Warren Skip Hare Jr. Uh, and I figured this out because there was a little label on the book. Uh, one of the labels, they, they ripped it off. And so I, I'm glad the second label was kept on at the back of the book so that I could learn just a, just a wee bit about Warren. Warren was a mason here in Missoula. Uh, I figured that one out because there's some nice embossing on the pages, the Masonic embossing, making sure that this, this is known. This book was coming from, from Hare's collection. And... Um, Let's see, Skip, reading this really quick from his obituary. Uh, Skip was active in 4-H and was Missoula County's representative for both state and national Congress. He graduated from the University of Montana and commissioned, uh, a commissioned second lieutenant in the United States Army, serving with distinction in Germany, Korea, and Vietnam, on, on, honorably discharged in 1972. His awards include the Soldier's Medal, Bronze Star with Oak Leaf Cluster, Air Medal, uh, Army Commendation Medal, Vietnam Service Medal, and the Republic of Vietnam Campaign Ribbon. Um, Skip managed Montgomery Ward Automotive in Billings, Montana, and Bach Tire in Missoula. He was also active in the Masonic Lodge, Shriner Clowns, and past master of Missoula Masonic Lodge 13. 
Isn't that interesting? That kind of hits on a bunch of themes that have been uh, hitting in my writing and some of the content I've been absorbing. Um, I went and watched Oppenheimer and have not written about it yet. But World War II is heavy on the minds of some of our content creators, people like Christopher Nolan. I've also been kind of interested in Jack Parsons and his role in creating the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Um, All these people were pretty instrumental in giving us the bomb that allegedly stopped World War II. So I'll probably get into writing more about that at some point. But Monday Montana is how we started off this week. And then I moved along to the next post. The next article, local media is so cute with their little stories on urban camping trash in the river and a totally not conflicted housing deal. So on Monday, I was not intending to go to city council to make public comment, but then I read two articles and the two articles then became this post and they were a bit frustrating. Also confusing. My comments to city council on Monday entailed asking how in a hot real estate market can the city as a real estate agent of sorts continually be purchasing things and then selling them for less than what they purchased them for. Now in a hot real estate market, generally what I thought happens is that you buy something and because a lot of people want it, it's worth more and so you sell it at a higher price. Not happening with the Sleepy Inn and also the Bridge Apartments. So what what I discovered by reading an article that triggered me just a little bit is that Blue Line has the first right to purchase the Bridge Apartments for a million dollars. That's right. How much did the Missoula Redevelopment Agency buy the Bridge Apartments for? Well, (laughs) $2.1 million. Yeah, it's weird. It's like it's going the wrong direction, which isn't good. But maybe there's more to to be considered. You know, subsidized housing, tax credits. There's a lot of weird stuff happening. And so maybe I'm just not smart enough to understand the amazing real estate alchemy being used by our local officials. Anyways, I wanted to make sure that that was identified and commented on. In addition to a bit of frustration I had that all of a sudden, the Clark Fork Coalition is realizing homeless trash in the river is a thing. And it's a thing that's not good for the river. I guess having a couple canoers find hypodermic needles in the sands of the river is what finally pushed our local media, including the Missoula Current that wrote this article, um, Laura Lundquist being the reporter. Laura Lundquist was someone I spoke to back in April when I was hoping, excuse me, she would do an article on my meth shack cleanup. I thought it was pretty cool that I spent $1,200 and removed 2.84 tons of trash from a well-built structure on the side of the Clark Fork River uh, behind Missoula College, yet that article never, never went anywhere. It was preempted by a emergency proclamation uh, from our mayor, and isn't that convenient? So <clears throat> now that we're in July, the Clark Fork Coalition is finally acknowledging reality. So I'm going to read this quote from Gomer's piece. It's actually not Gomer's piece. It's Laura Lundquist's piece. Um, but Gomer allowed it to go out on his Missoula Current platform. <clears throat> Here we go. Flowing through the center of Missoula, the Clark Fork River is an amenity treasured by some, but taken for granted by others. It provides aesthetic pleasure, recreational opportunity, and habitat for wildlife. As a result, it spawned the creation of at least one organization dedicated to its preservation, the Clark Fork Coalition. Excuse me. The Clark Fork Coalition has spent years trying to restore and maintain the river, from advocating for federal cleanup of the upper Clark Fork mine waste and Smurfett Stone Mill industrial chemicals to shepherding the removal and cleanup of the Milltown Dam and Reservoir in 2008. And every spring, they rally volunteers to troll the riverbanks around town, picking up trash. A lot of time, money and effort has been spent on cleaning a river that is now being polluted by a more urban source. 
by the issue of homeless encampments and tents near the river. Oh, but the issue of homeless encampments and tents near the river is a thorny one, said Karen Knudsen, Clark Fork Coalition Executive Director. Quote, every year we see this happening, especially in the spring, when there seems to be a real influx of unhoused populations, Knudsen said. In Missoula, as we grow, the public spaces decrease. They're not welcome in some of them anymore, and there's just no housing for them. The unhoused are forced to exist in these increasingly tenuous areas, and for sure, floodplains and riparian areas are tenuous places, especially when rivers are rising. Yay, Karen Knudsen, welcome to reality. Um, I had a little conversation with Karen. Um, this was last week. can't remember which day. I do remember I was a bit triggered uh, with some other things going on in my fun, fun life. And so Karen got the, the shitty end of my frustration. Also, some of the tourists standing around the Wren, uh, the new hotel downtown, they also overheard my less than pleasant conversation about hypodermic needles and meth trash and what I was doing and the lack of acknowledgement I've actually received and, and doing some pretty cool things for the river. And I told Karen that um, the community is getting tired of the politics. They know a lot quicker than she did about the homeless issue facing the river year after year after year. Um, and so it was it was real fun. It was real fun to, to let Karen know about how I see reality. And, and Karen ended up, uh, we ended the conversation. I actually admitted that I was not in a place to have a productive conversation. And Karen responded that she's only interested in solutions. So am I, Karen. One of the solutions will be to put me in a position to influence the next 10-year plan to end homelessness. Because if you don't have people with experience, education, uh, a little bit of political savvy to know where the bullshit exists, and at this point it's pretty much everywhere, then you're just going to repeat the same stupid fucking things that you've been doing. And my eyes tell me those things haven't been working. Other people's eyes telling them the same thing. So Karen has a lot of hard work ahead as she continues doing the narrative control dance with her funders and donors and political uh, subservience. So um, good luck with all that, Karen. I'll be out there doing real work um, as you guys continue just doing the political crap. So fun times in Zoomtown. Now, moving on to the next post, we have just a, a quick one. This is part of the like barrage of eight posts that I put out this week. Having to stay busy, having to put information out there, uh, letting people know. I will continue looking at where all that corruption is. A figurative hand job for Montana's Attorney General, courtesy of KGVO. What is a figurative hand job? Well, it came at the very <laughs> came. It came at the very end of the article, and it and it reads like this. Knudsen is one of the few public officials who relish the opportunity to answer direct questions from KGVO's listeners. Do you feel the friction of that hand job going up and down, up and down, up and down as uh, Peter Christian and Nick Christensen are sitting there just uh, basically providing some fellatio for Mr. Knudsen? It's sad that, that Austin wasn't wearing a cowboy hat. I do like him better in a cowboy hat, but you got to fit those headphones over your ears so you can hear the questions from the public, the questions that Austin so relishes. I wonder, does anyone ask him if he's running against Tester for, for the Senate yet? I don't know. Um, I would like to ask him... Uh, ask him i would like to ask austin about things like human trafficking he's so excited that there's been some new human trafficking busts um there's been a uh he's standing up against the feds i think maybe because uh some dude in great falls had the irs come after him or, or some shit i i don't know i'm not paying attention to that i'm hyper localist focused here mostly on missoula montana um but i also am interested in the technology workings of the state if they have the ability to truly take it to the enemy and that's where someone like Will Self comes in. So a nice little uh, article about the Merlin system uh, with the Department of Justice, Will Self, 
yeah, you can read it if you want. There's a lot more to get through, so I'm just going to move along to our next, our next post. Yes, some juveniles were stabbed, but maybe it was a lawful stabbing. So there was a stabbing. There's actually been a couple stabbings this week. It's one of the main things, stabbings. And so under the Madison Bridge, which is one of the bridges that spans the Clark Fork, there's a walking bridge. And apparently this has become a hot spot for youth this summer. Um, there's a lot of peacocking that can be done when you're jumping off the bridge, showing off to the ladies, guys. I see that happening as I'm biking over the bridge. I did not see the stabbing, though. Um, but apparently some other commenters with Zoomcron's comment section like to help educate readers. And it was a bunch of girls, guys. Yeah, a bunch of girls. Uh, three girls, from what I am being told in the comment section, some beef that may have started at the skate park and then ended on the Madison Walking Bridge with knives. So it sounds like maybe two girls were going after another girl who maybe defended herself because really no one's been arrested yet. Um, and really, if you if you consult Missoula's Jedi principles, so Jedi stands for justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. You know, I don't even know if there's a crime here because um, we have to really consider the, the, the women aspect, the girl aspect, you know, um, they're victims, generally speaking. And so if you have a, a certain type of demographic and then you add the victim status, they can do no wrong. So I think we should just let this go. Um, girls will be girls. Sometimes they're going to stab each other, and that's equality, I think. Do you agree? I don't really care if you agree. Um, you can make a comment at the blog telling me why you don't agree. So the stabbing, though, did make me think of another lawful stabbing because sometimes when you're selling drugs, you have to stab someone. It's just it's part of the it's part of the job. You know, so like it's in the job description when you're like, hey, my name is Josh. Uh, I'm going to be a drug dealer. And if this kid Ben fucks with me, I'm going to stab him. And it's cool because uh, Kirsten Papp says it is. That's right. If you go to um, the links and follow the links, you'll see that back in 2020 and 2021, I was writing about Pabst and Josh Paniaguao and how he was not ever arrested or even charged with stabbing Ben Musso to death in a bathroom over a drug deal gone wrong. Now, Josh was eventually arrested because he didn't like mommy and built a, a torture chamber for her in Florence, Montana, which is in the Bitterroot, south of Missoula. So yeah, accountability did eventually knock on Josh's door. Not, not until after, though, he stabby-stabbed Ben Musso and killed him. So if you want to know more about um, how this happens in Missoula, you can go and you can read. You can read about um, how Paps hides behind reasonable person standard to explain not prosecuting budding psychopaths. Yeah, and it might help you understand what's happening in Missoula, also what's not happening in Missoula. There's a lot of power in the not happenings of things. I uh, also put out some information about the downtown BID officers. They're on bikes, and I'm very excited to meet them. So uh, moving along to the next post, we went down memory lane. That's right. I took you, the reader, down memory lane with me to a interesting time of 2014. This is a time when a killer was on the loose, and I tried to help local authorities catch him. That didn't happen. He actually ended up fleeing. But the reason I started thinking about this is because on Facebook, I follow a urban camper who is living in the Kim Williams area. And this urban camper wanted to let other campers know we are indeed in fire restrictions, so don't start campfires out there. Well, some of the people didn't believe this guy, and so they started fires anyways, and he put them out, which is good. That's what Smokey the Bear would want you to do, do there, um, Mr. DW. But here's the issue. The fires were already, they, they were started, and that, that is a problem. Um, and back in 2014, a fire was started by this group of uh, youth who were basically following Kevin Lino, the psychopath, who ended up killing uh, Gilbert Jack Berry 
after his gang moved to the Reserve Street area because they started a fire, got out of control. It was put out eventually by authorities. But by that time, the gang, they'd gone over to Reserve Street where there was you know, quite a history of camping out illegally in the area. And so they had conflicts with um, some people that were previously living in the area. And Jack Berry, well, he ended up dead. And so it's a very interesting story. It's pretty exciting, actually. The FBI gets involved. I end up leaving on vacation a couple days early because one of, uh, one of Kevin Lino's gang members uh, basically was watching to see who was talking to the authorities. And, well, he saw me talk to authorities, and that made me a, a little nervous. But interesting, interesting little information, little side story. Um, as I was on vacation, I got a call from the director of the POV at the time, Erin Peehan. She had a pal that was one of the FBI agents looking into this. And they actually had ticketed this, this uh, uh, psychopath, Kevin Lino, and his crew as they were driving south in Castle Rock, I believe it was. Castle Rock, Colorado. That was about 10, 15 miles away from where I was staying in Colorado Springs. So I was a little worried that this psychopath killer who knew, apparently, that I was talking to authorities was actually in Colorado the same time I was. Eventually, he was busted caught in Louisiana. Monty Swanson, though, one of his accomplices, was never found. So to this day, Monty, he's missing and uh, presumed dead. Another little odd synchronicity, I ended up working with Monty's ex-girlfriend at a warehouse last year. Because things just get weird and weirder. Moving on, we have some fun with money. I don't know if uh, the, the public's actually is going to have as much fun when they realize we're giving $107,500 to a lobbyist company that just started in 2020 by S.K. Rossi, pronouns they, them. And so Central Housing Strategies, they're getting the loot. Bozeman, the city of Bozeman, is paying Central Housing Strategies to do advocacy. And it's just curious to me, as I read a little article about the legislature last year, so when they were, not last year, it was this year, yeah. Um, but last spring, um, the legislature, they, there was a housing bill. It would have done some deregulation to allow more density, something I thought our local peeps wanted, our local officials. People like Danny Carlino, uh, Daniel Carlino and Sandra Vasica, our city council members, they did like this bill. They spoke in support of it. Our placeholder mayor, Jordan Hess, not so much likey-likey. And, well, now he's going to hire the person that spoke against this bill for the city of Bozeman. So I think what that hints at is the desire to have local control being a bigger priority over actually achieving the goals like density, like housing density. I think local control might be just a little bit more important, you think? Um, another, uh, let's see. Okay. Uh, anything else in this article I wanted to mention? It seems like there was something else I was going to mention. Um, oh yes. So I did get a public comment in, it was not over three minutes, nor was Mr. Larson's comments over three minutes. And then our comments kind of, kind of jived because Mr. Larson had some questions. I thought that maybe I had an answer. There's, uh, some rumors that SK Rossi at some point might run for the legislature. So if that's true, she's getting, I'm sorry, they are getting, $107,000 to quote-unquote lobby, but at some point that could turn into a political career. My comment essentially said, I think that's a cleaner transition going from lobbyist to politician than other transitions I've seen, like Pavarello executive director to politician. That was a, a less clean transition, but that's a bit of a subjective opinion, so take it for what you will. Moving on, we have another stabby stabby. So, I saw on Facebook that there had been a stabbing. The stabbing was close to the Johnson Street shelter, also close to a playground, um, close to a dog park. And so I went on my bike. I'm a multimodal supporter of transportation, like bikes. 
And I went and I checked things out. I took some pictures. I talked to some people, um, talked to some police officers, and, and they're familiar with my work. And they said sometimes it's helpful reading my blog. Cool, guys. I like that. Talked to some business people. Uh, one guy sees lots of drug deals and is getting kind of tired of this shit. There's some construction going on that I think is probably preparing the ground for the bathroom improvements. The big warehouse facility is going to need to be a year-round shelter. The conversation around that is who's going to fund it because the crisis mill levy was going to potentially provide money for that kind of stuff. Instead, the Missoula Redevelopment Agency, that agency that's supposed to be dealing with blight, <laughs> yeah, they might be building some bathrooms in a homeless shelter. So uh, it'll be curious to see how Ellen Buchanan justifies that. I'll keep my eyes on that, and I'll keep my eyes on all the stabby stabbings that seem to be happening. Um, this one apparently happened on the basketball court. That's what I'm surmising from all of the little numbers on the yellow cards placed around the concrete um, in that area. Um, that's evidence, I believe, that they were. I'm looking at. And then a, a Jathan Moreno was arrested for uh, deliberate homicide. So he's in jail on a felony charge. The Moreno brothers, um, apparently some people in town are familiar because I'm getting all kinds of interesting information sent to me here and there. And so I was able to, to get a uh, defunct GoFundMe description of some of the, the trials and tribulations that young Jathan has experienced um, having left home and been homeless since he was about 15. So um, I wish we actually had some helping programs that could actually help people. It would be cool. But we really don't. Recovery Center in Missoula used to be beds for inpatient treatment. My information so far unconfirmed, but uh, one source told me that, yeah, that's going to be transitioning to some kind of group home. The amount of beds we actually have in Montana for inpatient treatment for people suffering with serious addiction issues, it's so pathetically minimal. It should almost be like a crime, but don't worry. The legislature, they have like a billion dollars of surplus money to play with, right? So I'm sure they're going to fix everything. Billion dollars, that's a lot of money to play with. Guess what, though? I bet they can fuck it up. I bet they can. Moving on to the next post. Let's see what we got. We have, oh, yes. I'm seeing a nice lady smile at me with an umbrella with poop emojis on it. And that is a signal to me. We're going to be talking about Grant here and the Missoula Economic Partnership. That's right. Uh, Friday's post, that's today, July 28th. Defund the ruse of Missoula economic development spending. That's what I think should happen. That's also what Daniel Carlino thinks should happen. And so in a valiant effort to save us some money, that's right, this socialist-leaning politician, he's doing a very fiscally conservative thing by saying, kind of scratching his head, hey, do we need to give $100,000 to this organization when I hear so much complaining about not having money? Maybe we should like cut it in half since the buy-in only needs to be 50000 and then we have 50000 for other social programs. Well, Daniel Carlino was successful in stalling the, the okaying, so the approval of the 100000 They're going to have to approve that probably this coming week. And so I'm sure it'll be approved. The amendment that Daniel Carlino offered um, failed on a 9-2 vote. So there's not much support from his fellow uh, counselors to have the $100,000 expenditure to the Missoula Economic Partnership. But I think Daniel Carlino, as he continues to actually try and do what he, what he wants to do from an ideological standpoint um, is gaining more supporters and gaining the respect of someone like me. Well, I, I've already respected him, but um, it's nice to see the work continue because, of course, we don't always agree on things, but I do appreciate where Carlino is coming from and trying to actually move some money around. Maybe so our other counselors have less to complain about when they're always like, ah, no money, no money, no money, but here's 100 grand here, here's 100 grand here, here doesn't make a lot of sense, and Carlino brings attention 
to that lack of sense making from our local officials. And for that, Mr. Carlino, I say thank you. Now that takes us pretty much through the posts. I know you're probably wondering about the poop emoji. Um, I should I should mention the umbrella with the poop emoji. My um, my idea in bringing in that image um, is that, well, to to justify their existence, the Missoula Economic Partnership is talking about workforce and affordable housing. So from the article, of course, the Missoula Current article. This is uh, from the article. For a decade or more, the city has contracted with the Missoula Economic Partnership to bring business and jobs to the community. The organization has been successful in growing the city's economy, and more recently, it has been a strong advocate for the construction of workforce and affordable housing. Then I say, by recently showing strong advocacy, quote, quote, lip service to subsidized housing, the head of MEP, Grant Keir, is hoping to fashion for his org a figurative umbrella for a real shitstorm that's brewing. Will it work? That's a good question. Will it work? I don't know. I think Grant will probably get that that hundred grand, um, and I will continue writing, writing stories, writing articles, um, writing opinions. The Riverfront Triangle is one of the areas in which the MEP, the Missoula Economic Partnership, wants to see something going eventually. And so, the Riverfront Triangle is the epitome of not success. For Missoula, when you think about uh, gentrification, when you think about people like Nick Chakota coming in from Wisconsin and uh, wanting to become the music guru, Logjam presents now the weed guru apparently, uh, wanting 16 million dollars in public money to get a parking garage as part of a giant convention center scheme, well, all of that failed and it continues to fail. The Riverfront Triangle site continues to sit empty, um, and we'll just we'll see what happens as MEP continues siphoning public money. Uh, to bring jobs, to make a, to make Missoula better, because apparently we need help doing that. Hmm, I don't know if it's working, but again, I'm going to stay paying attention to what is happening here in Zoomtown, here in Missoula, Montana, because we are a little microcosm of some national trends, but as a hyper-localist, I keep the focus here in my backyard. If you appreciate that, there's ways to support me financially. You can see on the blog, zoomcron.com, that's Z-O-O-M-C-H-R-O-N.com. You can reach out to me at willskink at yahoo. That's W-I-L-L-S-K-I-N-K at yahoo.com. And stay tuned for a reading. I will select a book from my vast private library, and I will read something. It will be an excerpt. I'm not sure yet what the book will be. I like to kind of wait until the last minute. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make that selection here soon. Stay tuned, and thank you for the support. All right, the book that I decided to read from for this week's book reading is John Krakauer's Missoula, Rape in the Justice System in a College Town. And I'm going to be picking up on page 44. So this is after, um, this is actually one of the victims recalling an interview with law enforcement, specifically Detective Guy Baker and Detective Mark Blood. So let's pick it up here, page 44 from Krakauer's book about Missoula. Reflecting on this interview in 2014, four years after it occurred, Belknap told me that she hadn't been emotionally prepared to be interrogated in this fashion less than 48 hours after being gang-raped. No one had informed her that she could ask for a victim advocate to be present during the interview. I had just been through this ordeal, she said, and they put me in a room with two male authority figures. It was very intimidating. I tried to maintain my game face and thought I didn't need anyone to be there with me, but I wished there had been another female presence to make me feel a little more comfortable. Belknap's nervousness, her inability to remember much, and the fact that her best friend had insisted that Belknap had no intention of alleging that she was raped, led detectives Baker and Blood to question the reliability of Belknap's account. 
They seemed skeptical, she said, like they thought I was just another drunk girl. I began to feel like I was the perp. They asked me a couple of different times, how did the guy who put his penis in your face grab your jaw? Did he grab it forcibly, or did he just kind of tug at it? I showed them exactly how he did it, but they didn't seem to believe that I really resisted or said no. Detective Baker asked Belknap if she was dating anyone, a question cops often ask women who report they've been raped. When I said, yes, I am, Belknap remembered, the way he reacted made me feel like he assumed I had cheated on my boyfriend and then lied about being raped to cover it up, even though that wasn't the case at all. Regarding Baker's question about whether Belknap thought the men who had sex with her perceived it to be consensual or non-consensual, she said, looking back now, that seems like a very inappropriate question for them to ask. How was I supposed to know what those boys were thinking? I was passed out most of the time. I wasn't even aware that they were what they were doing to me. The day after the incident at Benjamin Styrone's apartment, Betsy Fairmont sent several apologetic text messages to Kelsey Belknap, expressing how sorry she was that Belknap had been raped. Betsy texted over and over again, Belknap said. She said, I'm so sorry. I should have taken better care of you. When Belknap told Fairmont that she'd filed a police report accusing Styrone's friends of raping her, however, Fairmont's sympathy vanished. She tried to downplay what had happened, according to Belknap, and begged Belknap not to pursue the matter with the police. I don't want to get anyone in trouble, Fairmont protested. When Betsy Fairmont was interviewed by Detective Baker on January 11, 2011, nearly four weeks after the incident, Fairmont insisted that Belknap had willingly had sex with all four of uh, Benjamin Styrone's teammates. Fairmont, and Fairmont, quote, ended up covering for all five football players, Belknap said bitterly. They were her boys. When I told her, but this happened, Betsy, I was raped, she changed her story and lied through her ass. Styrone and the men who allegedly raped Belknap left town for Christmas break immediately after the incident, dispersing to five different cities in California, Arizona, and Washington. Because Betsy Fairmont was adamant that Belknap had consented to having sex with the football players, and it would have been prohibitively expensive for the police department to fly Detective Baker to three distant states to interview them, Neither Styrone nor any of the suspects were questioned until they came back to Missoula for the start of the spring semester, by which time seven weeks had elapsed. Detectives Baker and Blood didn't interview Benjamin Styrone and his roommate until February 3, 2011, and their three teammates weren't interviewed until mid-February, by which time all four suspects had had ample opportunity to rehearse their stories with Styrone, Fairmont, and one another before giving their statements to the police. On February 18th, Detective Baker met with Deputy Missoula County Attorney Jason Marks. Based on the investigation, Baker wrote in his, in, in his inclusive case report, it was decided there was not probable cause to file criminal charges against anyone involved in the incident. Baker called me and said, we need to talk, Kelsey Belknap recalled. When she arrived at the police station, Detective Baker explained that because Betsy Fairmont, Benjamin Styrone, and all four of his teammates had stated that the sex was consensual, the Missoula County Attorney's Office had determined that there was insufficient evidence to move forward. It was Belknap's word against the word of six eyewitnesses. According to Belknap, Baker told her the kicker was this. They said you were moaning, so you couldn't have been passed out. We needed one more person to take your side and back up your story, and there wasn't one. I'm sorry, but there's nothing we can do. The case was closed. The Missoula police chief at the time was Mark Muir. In an interview with Muir, broadcast in 2014 on 60 Minute Sports, correspondent Armin Katian asked why the case was never prosecuted. Quote, a lack of ability to show it was non-consensual sex, Chief Muir replied, adding that it was an easy decision to make. He reminded Katian that Kelsey Belknap had told Detective Baker that the men with whom she had had sex, quote, would likely have believed it was consensual. How do you overcome that, Muir said. 
According to Montana law, Katia encountered a person who is physically incapacitated is incapable of providing consent. Given her extremely high blood alcohol level, he wondered, wasn't Belknap clearly incapacitated? No, Chief Muir answered. Physical incapacitation differs from incapacitation of the mind. The fact that Belknap had, blacks, had blackouts does not specifically indicate that she was physically helpless at the time, Muir asserted, implying that Belknap's case would have been prosecutable if she'd been completely unconscious the whole time. But because she was intermittently semi-conscious, her claim that she never gave consent wasn't credible. But the relevant law, Montana Statute 45-5-501, doesn't say a victim has to be physically helpless to be incapable of giving consent, as Muir incorrectly asserted. The law states that a victim is incapable of consent if he or she is, quote, mentally defective or incapacitated, physically helpless, or overcome by deception, coercion, or surprise. And with the blood alcohol content of 0.219%, more than, more than two hours after the alleged rapes began, it's hard to imagine that Belknap wasn't mentally incapacitated to a significant degree. During an on-camera interview with Missoula County Attorney Fred Van Valkenburg, Katian observed that when Belknap's first assailant shoved his penis in her face, she told him no and tried to push him away. Isn't that enough, Katian asked, referring to indication of an absence of consent? Because Kelsey Belknap said nothing further to communicate her lack of consent as the sexual activity escalated, Van Valkenburg replied, he didn't have enough evidence to take the case to trial. This was not a prosecutable case, he told Katian, so I don't have any sort of regret about not filing this. I don't think we did anything wrong. Van Valkenburg, who was the head of Missoula County Prosecutor, who was the head Missoula County Prosecutor, neglected to mention the incriminating evidence he actually did have, such as the emergency room nurse's notes and Detective Baker's statement in his case report, that when Kelsey Belknap's initial assailant stuck his erect penis in her face, she said something to the effect of, I don't want to, and push him away with her hands. Nor did Van Valkenburg acknowledge the substantial and well-documented injuries to Belknap's vagina or the text messages to Belknap from Betsy Fairmont saying, I am so sorry, I should have taken better care of you. Text that Detective Baker downloaded from Belknap's phone and submitted as evidence. Furthermore, the recorded, statement, the recorded statements the perpetrators made to Baker failed to explain how exactly Belknap expressed consent while face down and semi-comatose, bent across a bed. The perpetrator's statements also failed to address the implausibility of their claims that she eagerly engaged in painful injurious, se injurious sex with four men she'd never met before that evening. The Missoula County Attorney's decision not to prosecute infuriated Kelsey Belknap and her family. Gang rape is an especially heinous crime. It seemed likely that the men who allegedly assaulted Kelsey might also have assaulted other women and might rape again if not held accountable. The Belknaps believe a more motivated prosecutor than von Valkenburg would have ordered a more thorough investigation, charged the perpetrators with rape, and either persuaded them to make a plea deal or take them to trial. Where he or she could have discredited the testimony of Kelsey's assailants and possibly persuaded a jury to convict them. Instead, as Terry Belknap lamented to Gwen Florio, quote, We were left with no answers and no further investigation. I really felt that we were brushed off. When Terry Belknap asked her daughter if she wanted the family to hire a lawyer to pressure Van Valkenburg to prosecute, according to Florio's article in the Missoulian, Kelsey Belknap said, Mom, they're football players and nobody's going to listen to me. They'll make my life hell. That was from the national bestseller by John Krakauer, Missoula, Rape and the Justice System in a College Town. This book, when was it, when did it first come out? Let me take a quick look, because we are now sitting here in 2023. Kirsten Pabst is still our county attorney, instead of Fred Van Valkenburg. Um, but 
Kirsten Pabst, if you read this entire book, well, she was pretty uh, instrumental in how things developed. So 2015, the copyright. 2023, has much changed in Missoula? Well, there was a huge Department of Justice hubaloo, and you know, supposedly the, the Missoula Police Department and the University of Montana, they got, a, they got in line and did things better moving forward, right? Mm, right, sure. We'll go with that for now. Thank you for tuning in to the Week in Review and the book reading here at zoomcron.com. Stay tuned next week. I have lots of stuff coming up. As always, you can check out articles Monday through Friday, generally posting at 7 a.m. And then this Sunday article and podcast, usually 8 a.m. I'm going to come up with some kind of tune to wrap this up at the end. Talk to you next week. All right. As promised, here are some verses with the ukulele. This is like take five. Let's see if we can do it right this time. Girly girls with the knife, girl gets stabby to protect her life, oh yeah. Stony stoners smoke the weed, but fentanyl makes you deceased, oh yeah. A manly men just go away, realize you're shooting blanks, oh yeah. Crazy fucker zombie walk Tweakers with their crazy talk Oh yeah <laughs> Saw some of that last night Blackfeet guy sees the ghosts And the piggy people roast Oh yeah The stumbling public kinda knows I'm here to help with my megaphone Oh yeah stand or you can sleep but angel clowns are fucking creeps oh yeah is that true paul so pay attention and listen hard the war is for your backyard oh yeah that's true because girly girls with the knife girl gets stabby to protect her life oh yeah missoula you definitely have to carry a knife ladies or something stronger Stony stoner smoke the weed, but fentanyl makes you deceased. Oh yeah, is that the point? Is that the is that the plan? Missoula County Sheriff's Office. Manly men just go away. Realize you're shooting blanks. Oh yeah. Again, this could be part of a strategy. I don't know, but crazy fucker zombie walk. Tweakers with their crazy talk. Oh yeah. Gotta watch out for those tweakers, kids. But Blackfeet guy, he sees the ghosts and the piggy people roast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A stumbling public kind of knows I'm here to help with my megaphone. Oh, yeah. You can stand or you can sleep, but angel clowns are fucking creeps. Oh, yeah. So pay attention and listen hard. The war is for your backyard. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I think it is. More on that later about the clowns who are angels. Hmm. Stay tuned next week. There will be more. And thank you for all the support.